Welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show, the number one podcast where we admit no matter what happens, daddy has the advice we need to fix our problems. Introducing my dad, Mr. Wayne Friedman. That was good. It would be nice if you could also sing a song. What would the song be? You love Paris in the springtime. I just made up some words to it. I love Rena in the springtime. I love Rena in the fall. (laughs) That's right. That's good enough. (laughs) Oh boy. Let's dive in. Our guest today, Deb is a firecracker wife and mother. She says it like it is, and she's here today to tell us about her journey from self-loathing and a near-death experience to living an awakened life. Deb, welcome. I saw on social media that you recently went to Jamaica and the Glow Retreat. Tell me about that. I went to Jamaica was a spiritual retreat, and it was incredible. I started this personal development spiritual journey back in 2017. I was really unsatisfied with my life and then felt really ungrateful. Why am I so unsatisfied? I have this incredible husband, these amazing kids. For all intents and purposes, I'm healthy. Like, why am I so unsettled? My husband and I had owned a retail business for about three years. We had had bought this business and we knew there was only about three years left on the lease. And we bought this business with the intention that I would run it. And then when he would retire, then he would come in and work it. And he's an artist. And I was going to hang his paintings in the store and sell, sell his work. And none of that happened. All I did was work. I worked like 14 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week. It was a nightmare. And that ended in 14 when our lease was up. And by choosing to not renew the lease, we incurred enormous debt. So I immediately went to work for a friend. It was a lot of fun. All right, now like it's not fun anymore. What am I doing with my life? And here I am helping somebody else make money, but I have all this debt and what am I doing with my life? I just was coming undone. I convinced myself that if I would meditate every day, it would change my life. I had started meditating. I knew the benefits of it when I did it regularly, but I just could never make it stick. So 2017, one day I'm sitting on my couch and I'm like, what's the matter with my life? What am I going to do? I got to fix my life. I know I'll meditate every single day for a year. There was only two things in my whole life that I hadn't ever quit. One was school and I never quit my marriage. I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to like pick something. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to meditate every day, even if it's only for one minute. And I did it. I meditated every day, even when I didn't want to, even when I was like, I don't feel anything from this. I have to do it. I have to prove to myself that I can do something for myself. And during that year, I was 48. And I was like, I got to get my shit together. I was like, I have to have this all together by the time I'm 50. Over that year, what happened was I fell in love with me. I was so mean to myself and that I did nothing but beat myself up. And I was like, why am I doing this? It led me on this journey of personal development. And it put me at the door of this incredible woman, Sally Marie Young. She ran a woman's circle and I signed up for one of her circles, there was this community of women that were just like literally sitting in a circle talking about things. This is incredible. And it was so supportive. And then I started coaching with her and she does energy work. And I started to receive energy healing regularly and have coaching regularly. I like fell in love with me and realized I can do things for myself. It's okay for me to make choices to do things for myself. By me taking care of myself, it made everybody in my house happier. 
I can totally relate to that. When COVID hit, I had to seriously shift my gears from workaholic to fully devoted mom of four, and it was really hard. Yes. You said earlier that you even quit on life when you died. Um, Care to explain? In 2004, I had heel spurs and plantar fasciitis. I was working out a lot and I had just gotten certified to be a spinning instructor. My feet were killing me. And I'm not someone who is big on taking medicine. And I was taking this prescription, like an anti-inflammatory that was prescription and it was being recalled. So my doctor said, take this over-the-counter pain reliever but take double the dose because that would be the prescription dose of it. I go to sleep on a Friday night, healthy, 36 years old, healthy mom of three little kids and this awesome husband. And I wake up, I'm like, I had a belly ache. And I went to the bathroom and blood came out. And I was like, I had had that morning a uterine biopsy because I was going to have a procedure to my uterus. So I was like, hmm, did he nick something? I go back to bed. I wake up again a little while later, same feeling. I have to go to the bathroom. I wake up, I'm on my bathroom floor. Then I remember waking up and I fell through the shower doors. I was in the bottom of my shower. I realized that I must have been passing out. I immediately turned the water on, stripped my clothes off. There's blood everywhere. It was like a mob hit. And one of the worst parts about it was my bathroom had just gotten refinished. (laughs) Oh my God, what a nightmare. So I throw the shower on to revive myself. And I'm thinking, nobody woke up. Like, I fell through the shower doors. Like, these, nobody woke up in this house. I make it to the top of the steps to go call my husband. And all that comes out is like, Jeff, like this whisper. And I'm like, oh my God, where's my voice? Something in me knew I couldn't make the steps. And I'm just like, Jeff, Jeff. And my oldest son woke up. And I'm like, get that. He comes in, 911 has to come. That's real fun, being taken out on a stretcher in front of your three babies. They take me to the emergency room of the nearest hospital. I'm in a room. The doctor comes in and he says to me, we can't monitor your heart in here. We need to move you to another spot in the emergency department. And then you're going to go to intensive care. And I'm all like, who are you telling their girl? I'm not going to intensive care. I got to go home. I got three kids. I got a lot of to do this weekend. I'm not going to intensive care. What are you talking about? I'm so healthy and fine. I throw up and I pass out. So what my husband says happened was I came back around. They walked me out of the room and I passed out again. I passed out I'm in white light everywhere. I'm just like white light. I'm in the light. And I'm like, oh, I'm in the light. <laughs> My cousin, Laura, had died in a car accident in 1992. She was like a sister to me. She was behind my left shoulder, pushing me. And I was like, oh my God, bud. And I could turn my head and see her. And she just kept pushing my shoulder, pushing my shoulder. She was in full physical form behind me. She finally pushed me so hard that I was sitting up in a hospital bed and people were like, lay down. Now she's there. But now she's like a little ball of energy, kind of like Tinkerbell flying around. And I'm like, what are you looking at? You don't know what you're looking at. And they're now like, the nurses are like looking at me like, who the hell is she talking to? So now they bring my husband back and I'm like, oh my God, do you see her? And he was like, dead, I'm going to need you to shut up because they're going to get you a straight jacket. (laughs) Like, stop it. They take me to intensive care. And I was like this like circus act and Laura is just everywhere. And I say to my husband, like, what is she looking at? She doesn't know what she's doing. She wasn't a doctor. 
when she doesn't know any of this stuff. And he's like, Dad, please just like stop talking. Please stop talking. I say to him, oh my God, look at your father and brother. My father-in-law died in 2000 and my brother-in-law died in 1991. And they were sitting on the windowsill in my room. My husband's like, Dad, like seriously, I need you to not talk. Long story short, I hemorrhaged from taking the over-the-counter pain reliever. While I was in there, I had four transfusions within 24 hours. They had given me a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. So that's real fun doing a colonoscopy prep when you're bedridden and you're not even allowed to sit up in bed. God bless that nurse. I swear to God, if I ever win Publishers Clearinghouse, I will find her and give her a beautiful present. While I was in there, I was so mad. Like, how could my body turn on me? Why did this happen? I exercised, I took care of myself. It really like messed with my head. It took me like, a year to fully recover. As I recovered, five people in my family died. It was like this horrendous year. I had to have a repeat colonoscopy in five years and had precancerous polyps removed. That hemorrhage saved me from colon cancer. Yeah. Have you ever had any other types of visions? I can tap in. Yes. I think that some people are able to do that. When I saw her, when I saw Lar, and when I saw my father-in-law and brother-in-law, that is really the only time that I saw people in physical form. I more so feel. I can feel energy. I can read energy. I'm not clairvoyant. Like I don't see. Can you feel anything right now? <laughs> No. You know, my dad feels like he's had visions and mm -hmm. experiences as well. I just, I'm like, did it skip a generation? I don't know. <laughs> so everybody's intuitive. It just comes down to being open to it. And some people don't want it. It just comes down to like, you can ask for signs. Wouldn't people think that's kind of like witchcraft though? They could, but it's not. I mean, we're all energy. Everything's energy. Okay. I just want to go back a little. You're 36, a spin instructor, three small children. What was happening at that stage in your life? My major in college was criminal justice. You know why it was criminal justice? Because it was easy and there was like friends were taking criminal justice. <laughs> I'm not kidding. In my life growing up, it was like women could be teachers, nurses, secretaries, waitresses, and librarians. Like that's about it. And I didn't want to be a teacher. My parents had their own business, but it wasn't like women are in business. There was nothing like modeled for me. It was always like, oh, you can be whatever you want. But I never saw that. I never saw the women in my family and my life like branch out and do like things other than those jobs that like I described. I had friends there that I met and they're like all taking criminal justice. They're like, take it. I'm like, I'll take it. I decide I don't want to go to law school, but I want to work in the field because I can't stand when you hear that people majored in something and then they never, ever, ever work in that field. So I get a job at the probation and parole department in Philly. And what I should have done was social work because that's what I did the whole time that I was there. It was such an eye-opening experience working there and the clientele, I, I love them. That reminds me so much of my days on Springer when I was managing all of these adults older than me and constantly running interference. It was insane. Are there any stories that stand out in your mind from those days? 
I had this one person on my caseload. She was my absolute favorite. I adored her. And you know that saying like there, but for the grace of God, she just was like this beautiful woman who had like this hideous situation in her life. One of her kids had multiple babies. So she not only was taking care of her own kids, she had like four kids of her own. Now this daughter keeps having these babies and she's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I can't like turn these babies away. She's doing everything in her life to like pay back her restitution, take care of everybody. When I left there, it was because my coworker got stabbed in the elevator. And I was like, I think I got to go. Like I had enough. So I go in after hours on a Friday to pack up my office and I'm listening to my voicemail and my very last message is from my favorite. And she was like, she stabbed somebody to protect her daughter. And she's like, do you think I'm in trouble? And I was like, oh my God. Like, was I your first phone call? (laughs) My God, you're in so much trouble. I had somebody tell me that she was so good when she was on crack that she would get all her cleaning done and all her Johns done. And I'm like, you can't tell me the Johns part. Don't tell the Johns part. That's a whole nother case. I can't know that. And I'm sure stuff like that actually slipped out in court. Crazy things would come out. Like people would just like say things like, and I'd be like, the whole situation there was like unreal. The whole department, it was like a soap opera. And the calmest part of everything were the criminals. I'm not even kidding. Did you go to the prison? Yes. Not a lot. I think we, we went like a few times and that's terrible feeling. It was mostly like for trainings that we had to go. Here you hear that click of the you know, and I'm like, I know I'm getting out, but still, it's very unsettling. Like, I'll never forget, I had this one person on my caseload who was pregnant, and she was a mess, and had a lot of uh, drug issues, and was like, had so much in arrears on her restitution, and they locked her up in front of me, and I had just started, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, I just saw somebody get locked up, like, for real, and she's gonna have a baby. And the baby was born while she was in jail. She really was a success story though. Like she was able to get clean while she was in there, come out, get the baby. She really did turn her life around. In the six years that I was there, I saw maybe 10 to 15 really, really, really turn their lives around you know, like cleaning up their addictions and then going to school or going to a trade school and then starting a career and starting like to blossom and have like this, bring all this goodness into their lives. They started to take care of themselves and see life in a different way. I find it so interesting that you helped people in serious financial troubles and then you yourself ended up with your own debt. Yeah. Only- I don't get to pay my loan back at $5 a month with no interest. Do you keep in touch with anybody from that job or that you saw turn their life around? I was there from 90 to 96. So it wouldn't have been appropriate, first of all. And second of all, there was no like social media then. I did stay friends with a couple people throughout all these years. And then through the power of social media, I've reconnected with coworkers. What was a day in the life of a parole officer? Well, there it was. Come in. Everybody's bitching, moaning, and complaining. We had no security in the building. There was like one security guard when you first came in and he was busy like flirting. The floor that I was on was a lot of money crime. And what would happen would be if people were already on probation and then they got another case, I would get that. So you would have people coming in to see us. You know, we had appointments all day, every day, or I'm on the phone 
or I am in court because somebody violated their probation and I have to bring them back in front of the judge. What does your conversation with them look like? Sometimes it's like, just don't talk. Or like, okay, what can you do? You have to, you have to do something because they're going to lock you up. Say their payment was 25 a month. And, they, and I was always like, well, what could you do? How can you make this right? Can some of that be excused? So sometimes it was. Sometimes they would excuse it and they would just write it off, but not a lot. Were there ever any fights in the courtroom? I've seen fights in the courtroom. Not really with my situation. I did have a guy who told me I needed to understand that he had to make Hyundai Elantra payment and he wasn't going to pay this. And I was like, you can't tell me that you bought a brand new car, but you're not going to pay back this restitution. And he's like, well, you can't make me. I'm like, it's not my, like, you're not paying me. We go to court and he freaks out. Like, I'm a bitch because I'm trying to get him to make these payments and he's got a car payment. It was like, unlike anything I'd ever seen. And the judge was like, you know, I could take your car. Like, are you kidding me? One time I had a woman come in and sit at my desk. We're talking and I'm like, okay, you know, like I'm checking her address, phone number. And everything was done by hand. Like we didn't even have like computers at our desk. She's like, you know what? And I'm like, what? She's like, I'm going to kill you. And I'm like, me? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, when? She's like, mm, pretty soon. And I was like, okay, I have to run to the bathroom. I'll be right back. She's like, all right, but when you come back, I'm killing you. And I was like, all right, I'll be right back. <laughs> I go out and I shut the office door and I say to one of the guys, you know, one of the male officers, I'm like, listen, that lady in there just told me she's going to kill me. I told her I had to go to the bathroom. And when I come back, she's, she said, she's killing me. So can we need to call the enforcement unit. She's like, I can't believe you did me like this. And I'm like, oh my God, what do you mean you can't believe I did you like this? You told me you're going to kill me. That's crazy. Crazy. What was your training to deal with someone like that? So we had lots of self-defense training. But do you really know what you would do? You know, like nobody really knows what you would do until the situation would happen. But I have to say, when I had the card and gift shop, I saw even more crazy in the card and gift shop than I did in probation. People would come in and try to return things that didn't even come from my store, things I didn't even sell or things I did sell, but they didn't buy from me. I sold American Greetings at 50% off. It was like a special deal that I had with them. People would like be like, well, is the whole store 50% off? And I'm like, the cards and gift wrap are 50% off. Well, I want 50% off of this. I'm like, yeah, wouldn't that be nice? But no, like, and fight with me. I find it hilarious that your skill set was transferable from parole officer to gift shop to mindset coach now. Did you have people coming in to steal? So one time it was like a teenager who would come in with their father all the time. And he always had a hoodie. I caught him with Yankee Candle in the pocket of his hoodie. I'm like, take them out of your pocket. He's like, I'm just bringing it over to my dad to smell because he would come in and have to literally smell. Like they would smell every, take the lid off of every candle. And then the father gave me like a lot of crap. And it's funny because now that I know about mindset and I know about law of attraction and I've studied these things, there's no way that business could have survived. Like there's no way that business could have been a success because I was in such lack mindset because I knew how much it cost us to do it. And I knew how much time I was missing from my kids. 
So I went from being home all the time to working like 14 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week, and never seeing these kids. How did that affect you as a parent? Honestly, what it did was, so my house was like a complete disaster for all the years that we had the store. And my husband was working full time. It wasn't like he wasn't working full time. He had his full time job. And then he had to run the kids around and feed them. And then a lot of nights come back to the store to help me. Like it was destroying me being there and not being with them. And ultimately it gave us this appreciation for each other that we didn't have before. So even though it gave me all this debt and I lost time with them, it gave us a relationship that maybe we might not have had otherwise. Wow, that's really beautiful. I hear the way that you speak about your husband and it's such a sweet, kind love. Is that where it stemmed from? We've always had like a really good relationship, but that gave us a level of appreciation that it took it like to like this next level. How long did you own the shop? A little over three years. I didn't listen to my intuition. I knew that the person was not being honest. What questions would you ask now? Like I would ask somebody, should I buy their inventory? I need to talk to their vendors. Are they going to extend terms to me? Or am I going to have a business loan? Or am I going to have a business credit card that I can buy merchandise? What's going to be more financially beneficial to me? Has mindset and meditation helped you tune into your intuition more? Absolutely. That was the ultimate test of me knowing what happens when you don't listen. And being able to differentiate between what's my ego and fear and what's my intuition. Have you been able to overcome that huge financial burden? Not yet. I mean, we're working on it, but no, it hasn't been taken care of yet. When we made the decision to not renew the lease, because we could have renewed the lease and stayed in business, I had to get out. I couldn't do it another minute. And what my rationale was, I can always make money. I cannot buy back time. And I choose time over money. There are so many women who have issues around money mindset. Did that stem from your childhood? Absolutely. It totally stemmed from my childhood, which doesn't everything. I grew up in a very lack-minded family and my parents did at one point in their lives make a lot of money. They spent every cent of it. They did not invest. They did not save. My parents ended up losing everything. My dad walked out and left my mom and I was married and pregnant by this point. He walked out, they lost their business, they lost everything, and he left my mom and my sister and my brother homeless. Oh my God. His parents lost their house, and my mom had to take my sister who was in college and my brother who was in seventh grade and move into my grandparents' house and then work three jobs. Wow. My whole family was always like, money was like this thing that you chased all the time and it wasn't meant for them. They could only have it in little dribs and drabs. And my dad was really big on whenever he had it, everybody had it. He would pay for vacations for his whole family, pay for parties. It brought him joy, but it took from his wife and kids. Do you talk to your kids about their financial future? So my kids are adults. 
My oldest is 26. He's married. He's so financially responsible. He bought a house when he was 22. My other son just graduated from college. He's like figuring, you know, kind of like the world's on this big pause right now. He was a film student. He's a filmmaker, has a little part-time job, but he's figuring it out. And he's really good with his money too. And so is my daughter. She just finished freshman year of college and she has two part-time jobs this summer and just picked up a third one. I mean, they have fun. Don't get me wrong but they're pretty responsible. What do they think of your sisterhood that you're forming? They love it. Like my daughter's like all about it. And my son, the one who's the filmmaker, he's like, mom, you got to get on YouTube. Like you need YouTube videos. Come on, like I'll set you up. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Talk to me about what you're doing. You know, I'm a coach and then I'm also an energy healer. And then I was like, okay, I know how valuable in my life it was to have a tribe of like-minded women. When I found these like-minded women, it changed my life and made me feel like I belonged. I always hid how intuitive I was or these gifts that I had. I always shrunk to make myself small, to fit in. It gave me permission to just be me. All out, here I am. And when I found this community of women that were on the same path, it was just like, I felt like, oh my God, finally. So I wanted to facilitate that for women. I love to connect women. I love to celebrate their achievements and, and help them feel empowered and, and figure out ways for them to empower themselves. I started the Sisterhood of What Next on Facebook to bring women together in community. I started it in October and I think there's like 540 women in there. And I love it. It's so much fun. You know, I have a theme every day. It's like Motivational Monday. I give people chances to promote themselves because I want to know what they're doing. I want to give my business to people that are trying to make a go of it. So that's what I've done in the sisterhood of what next. And then during COVID, I'm like, okay, what could I do? that would be really fun and would really showcase these women. Let me start the Sisterhood Spotlight series. So I put a call out, like who wants to come on and just come on a Facebook Live with me, share a little bit about what you do, and at the end, we'll plug your business. And I ended up interviewing 18 incredible women. They had all different backgrounds, all different businesses. I loved getting to talk to everybody. It was such a great experience and I'm going to run it again. That's what the sisterhood is all about. Just bringing women together in community to celebrate and support each other. You brought the energy tonight. So thank oh, you. Thank this was you. like long overdue. I've been wanting to talk to you and connect with you. And I want to be a part of your sisterhood. You're amazing. You're a ball of fires. Grandpa, what did you think? Well, Deb, I want to congratulate you. You have shown quite a bit of depth in overcoming adversities. And the irony here is that you were a parole officer dealing with people that could end up going to jail. You ended up going to jail yourself by trying to run a business that was not only not profitable, but so time consuming that you couldn't do anything else. Sometimes the business runs you. But we have some experience in that because my mom and dad and I got an intense lighting reflector business that we ran for over 40 years. And sometimes it totally consumed us. Sometimes when we're near death, some of these stories we've heard from other people as well, there is a connection between this world and the next world. You had family members that were trying to also join your sisterhood and support you and help you see the light that you wouldn't be doing it alone. Great things happen when women stand together. 
You can follow Deb's Facebook group called Sisterhood of What Next. You can also find a link on the Better Call Daddy website. If you found that entertaining, don't forget to subscribe. Add Better Call Daddy podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. We all have our own unique map, which helps us understand ourselves and others. Increased self-awareness is key in maximizing your career and life. The UMAP assessment reveals your strengths, values, skills, and interests. There is also a UMAP youth assessment for kids. To get your personalized UMAP, go to myumap.com today. And make sure you use the code BCD, like Better Call Daddy.